0: This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by George Dupre Democracy in America, Volume 1 By Alexis de Tocqueville Translated by Henry Reeve Conclusion I have now nearly reached the close of my inquiry hitherto in speaking of the future destiny of the United States. I have endeavored to divide my subject into distinct portions in order to study each of them with more attention. My present object is to embrace the whole from one single point. The remarks I shall make will be less detailed, but they will be more sure. I shall perceive each object less distinctly, but I shall describe the principal facts with more certainty. A traveller who has just left the walls of an immense city climbs the neighbouring hills. As he goes farther off, he loses sight of the men whom he has so recently quitted. Their dwellings are confused in a dense mass. He can no longer distinguish the public squares, and he can scarcely trace out the great thoroughfares. But his eye has less difficulty in following the boundaries of the city, and for the first time he sees the shape of the vast whole such is the future destiny of the british race in north america to my eye the details of the stupendous picture are overhung with shade but i conceive a clear idea of the entire subject the territory now occupied or possessed by the united states of america forms about one-twentieth part of the habitable earth but extensive as these confines are it must not be supposed that the Anglo-American race will always remain within them. Indeed, it has already far overstepped them. There was once a time at which we also might have created a great French nation in the American wilds, to counterbalance the influence of the English upon the destinies of the new world. France formerly possessed a territory in North America scarcely less extensive than the whole of Europe. The three greatest rivers of that continent, then flowed within their dominions. The Indian tribes which dwelt between the mouth of the saint Lawrence and the delta of the Mississippi were unacc- unaccustomed to any other tongue but ours, and all the European settlements scattered over the immense region recalled the traditions of our country. Louisburg, Montmorency, Duquesne, Saint-Louis, Vincennes, NEW ORLEANS, FOR SUCH WERE THE NAMES THEY BORE, ARE WORDS DEAR TO FRANCE AND FAMILIAR TO OUR EARS. BUT A CONCOURSE OF CIRCUMSTANCES, WHICH IT WOULD BE TEDIOUS TO ENUMERATE, HAVE DEPRIVED US OF THIS MAGNIFICENT INHERITANCE. WHEREVER THE FRENCH SETTLERS WERE NUMERICALLY WEAK AND PARTIALLY ESTABLISHED, THEY HAVE DISAPPEARED. THOSE WHO REMAIN ARE COLLECTED ON A SMALL EXTENT OF COUNTRY AND ARE NOW SUBJECT TO OTHER LAWS. The 400,000 French inhabitants of lower Canada constitute at the present time the remnant of an old nation lost in the midst of a new people. A foreign population is increasing around them unceasingly and on all sides, which already penetrates among the ancient masters of the country, predominates in their cities, and corrupts their language. This population is identical with that of the United States. It is therefore with truth that I asserted that the British race is not confined within the frontiers of the Union, since it already extends to the Northeast. It cannot be denied that the British race has acquired an amazing preponderance over all the other European races in the New World, and that it is very superior to them in civilization in industry, and in power. As long as it is only surrounded by desert or thinly-peopled countries, as long as it encounters no dense populations upon its routes, through which it cannot work its way, it will assuredly continue to spread. The lines marked out by treaties will not stop it, but it will everywhere transgress these imaginary barriers. The geographic position of the British race in the New World is peculiarly favorable to its rapid increase. Above its northern frontiers the icy region of the Pole extend, and a few degrees below its southern confines lies the burning climate of the equator, The Anglo-Americans are therefore placed in the most temperate and habitable zone of the continent. The British subjects in Canada who are dependent on a king augment and spread almost as rapidly as the British settlers of the United States who live under a republican government. During the War of Independence, which lasted eight years, the population continued to increase without intermission in the same ratio. Although powerful Indian nations allied with the English existed at that time upon the western frontiers, the emigration westward was never checked. Whilst the enemy laid waste the shores of the Atlantic, Kentucky, the western parts of Pennsylvania, and the states of Vermont, and of Maine, were filling with inhabitants. Nor did the unsettled state of the Constitution, which succeeded the war, prevent the increase of the population, or stop its progress across the wilds. Thus, the difference of laws, the various conditions of peace and war, of order and of anarchy, have exercised no perceptible influence upon the gradual development of the Anglo-Americans. This may be readily understood, for the fact is that no causes are sufficiently general to exercise a simultaneous influence over the whole of so extensive a territory. One portion of the country always offers a sure retreat from the calamities which afflict another part, and however great may be the evil, the remedy which is at hand, is greater still. The British subjects in Canada, who are dependent on a king, augment and spread almost as rapidly as the British settlers of the United States, who live under a republican government. During the War of Independence, which lasted eight years, the population continued to increase without intermission in the same ratio. Although powerful Indian nations allied with the English existed at that time upon the western frontiers, the emigration westward was never checked. Whilst the enemy laid waste the shores of the Atlantic, Kentucky, the western parts of Pennsylvania, and the states of Vermont, and of Maine, were filling with inhabitants. Nor did the unsettled state of the Constitution which succeeded the war, prevent the increase of the population or stop its progress across the wilds. Thus, the difference of laws, the various conditions of peace and war, of order and of anarchy, have exercised no perceptible influence upon the gradual development of the Anglo-Americans. This may be readily understood, for the fact is that no causes are sufficiently general to exercise a simultaneous influence over the whole of so extensive a territory. One portion of the country always offers a sure retreat from the calamities which afflict another part, and however great may be the evil, the remedy which is at hand is greater still. Thus In the midst of the uncertain future, one event at least is sure. At a period which may be said to be near, for we are speaking of the life of a nation, the Anglo-Americans will alone cover the immense space contained between the polar regions and the tropics, extending from the coast of the Atlantic to the shores of the Pacific Ocean, The territory which will probably be occupied by the Anglo-Americans at some future time may be computed to equal three-quarters of Europe in extent. The climate of the Union is upon the whole preferable to that of Europe, and its natural advantages are not less great. It is therefore evident that its population will at some future time be proportionate to our own. Europe, divided as it is between so many different nations, and torn as it is has been by incessant wars and the barbarous manners of the Middle Ages, has notwithstanding attained a population of 410 inhabitants to the Square League. What cause can prevent the United States from having as numerous a population in time? Many ages must elapse before the diverse offsets of the British race in America cease to present the same homogeneous characteristics, and the time cannot be foreseen at which a permanent inequality of conditions will be established in the New World. Whatever differences may arise from peace or from war, from freedom or oppression, from prosperity or want, Between the destinies of the different descendants of the great Anglo-American family, they will at least preserve an analogous social condition, and they will hold in common the customs and the opinions to which that social condition has given birth. In the Middle Ages, the tie of religion was sufficiently powerful to imbue all the different populations of Europe with the same civilization. The British of the New World have a thousand other reciprocal ties, and they live at a time when the tendency to equality is general amongst mankind. The Middle Ages were a period when everything was broken up, when each people, each province, each city, and each family had a strong tendency to maintain its distinct individuality. At the present time, an opposite tendency seems to prevail, and the nation seems to be advancing to unity. Our means of intellectual intercourse unite the most remote parts of the earth, and it is impossible for men to remain strangers to each other, or to be ignorant of the events which are taking place in any corner of the globe. The consequence is that there is less difference at the present day, between the Europeans and their descendants in the New World. Then there was between certain towns in the 13th century, which were only separated by a river. If this tendency to assimilation brings foreign nations closer to each other, it must a fortiori prevent the descendants of the same people from becoming aliens to each other. THE TIME WILL THEREFORE COME WHEN ONE HUNDRED AND FIFTY MILLIONS OF MEN WILL BE LIVING IN NORTH AMERICA, EQUAL IN CONDITION, THE PROGENY OF ONE RACE, owing THEIR ORIGIN TO THE SAME CAUSE, AND PRESERVING THE SAME CIVILIZATION, THE SAME LANGUAGE, THE SAME RELIGION, THE SAME HABITS, THE SAME MANNERS, AND IMBUED WITH THE SAME OPINIONS, propagated under the same forms the rest is uncertain but this is certain and it is a fact new to the world a fact fraught with such pretentious consequences as to baffle the efforts even of the imagination there are at the present time two great nations in the world which seem to tend towards the same end Although they started from different points, I allude to the Russians and the Americans. Both of them have grown up unnoticed, and whilst the attention of mankind was directed elsewhere, they have suddenly assumed a most prominent place amongst the nations. And the world learned their existence and their greatness at almost the same time. All other nations seem to have nearly reached their natural limits and only to be charged with the maintenance of their power. But these are still in the act of growth. All the others are stopped or continue to advance with extreme difficulty. These are proceeding with ease and with celerity along a path to which the human eye can assign no term. THE AMERICAN STRUGGLES AGAINST THE NATURAL OBSTACLES WHICH OPPOSE HIM. THE ADVERSARIES OF THE RUSSIAN ARE MEN. THE FORMER COMBATS, THE WILDERNESS AND SAVAGE LIFE, THE LATTER, CIVILIZATION WITH ALL ITS WEAPONS AND ITS ARTS. THE CONQUESTS OF THE ONE ARE THEREFORE GAINED BY THE PLOWSHARE, THOSE OF THE OTHER BY THE SWORD. THE ANGLO-AMERICAN RELIES UPON PERSONAL INTEREST TO ACCOMPLISH HIS ENDS AND GIVES FREE SCOPE TO THE UNGUIDED EXERTIONS AND COMMON SENSE OF THE CITIZENS. THE RUSSIAN CENTERS ALL THE AUTHORITY OF SOCIETY IN A SINGLE ARM. THE PRINCIPAL INSTRUMENT OF THE FORMER IS FREEDOM, OF THE LATTER SERVITUDE. Their starting point is different, and their courses are not the same. Yet each of them seems to be marked out by the will of heaven to sway the destinies of half the globe. End of conclusion End of Democracy in America, Volume 1, by Alexis de Tocqueville, translated by Henry Reeve.